Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? It's good to be back. I wasn't here these last two Sundays, so I got to have a great time on vacation. Got to see some family uh, up in Oregon. We went up the California coast, and uh, we had a great time with family. So thank you for allowing me to get away for a little bit. And thank you, Pastor Nick and Pastor Greg, for bringing the word the last two Sundays. Um, you guys are in good hands even when I'm gone, so that's always a good thing to know. Uh, the last time I was here was the 4th of July, and I got to have a good meal with you guys, and I get to have a meal with you guys again today. If you guys want to stick around for lunch, I get to break bread with you again this Sunday, so maybe this should be a tradition. Every Sunday, I can break bread with you guys. Um, but this is fun. Uh, I will ask the scary question, what did I talk about last time? It wasn't even last week. It was three weeks ago, right? It was Independence Day, and the title of the message was declaring our independence, declaring independence. And so I was talking a lot about our declarations. Our words have power, right? The power of life and death is in the tongue, right? We have this idea that God spoke things into existence and the things that we speak out loud have a lot of power. And so I'll use that a little bit as a segue into uh, this morning, where I'm going this morning. We're not talking about independence. We're not really talking about declaring things, but I'll use this as a segue. Sometimes before we speak, we should actually think, Right? And in my house, I don't know where Jen got it, and she just left the room. Um, but there's an acronym that we tell our kids, think before you speak. We've probably all heard that before, think before you speak. That's nothing new. But there's actually an acronym, T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Before you let something come out of your mouth, think about it. Is it true? Is it the truth? And then sometimes it can be true, but it's not that helpful, T-H, right? It's true, right? Someone could have cut you off on the freeway, and you could say, what, look what you did, you idiot, right? Like, that was like, that was an idiotic move to cut me off, right? That was the true, but is it actually helpful to say that? So that's H, and then I, is it inspiring? Is it encouraging, right? N, is it necessary? Did you really need to say that out loud? Did you need to say that? Is it necessary? And then finally, K, is it kind? And so the idea is think before you speak. And how I'm using it as a segue is the very first word, true. Is it true? Uh, the title of this morning's message is Embracing Truth Releases Freedom. Embracing Truth Releases Freedom. Can you say that with me? Can you say Embracing Truth, embracing truth. Releases, freedom. releases Freedom? Let's do it again. Embracing Truth, embracing truth. Releases, freedom. releases Freedom. All right, I'm going to have you do it a third time, a little bit louder, like say it twice as loud as you did last time. Ready? Embracing Truth. Releases freedom. All right, good job. You guys got it. So that's the title of this morning's message. You can write it down. You can sear it in your brain. That's where we're going. Um, so to give you context of why I'm talking about this, this comes from John chapter 8, and we're going to give you the verse. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. So if you want, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, uh, open up the app on your phone, however you want to do that. But I want to give you some context first, this idea about truth. Um, John, the gospel of John talks about truth more than any other gospel, maybe more than any other New Testament book in the Bible. He talks about truth a lot. In the first chapter, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he talks about Jesus becoming flesh, right? The word became flesh, and he says, and he was full of grace and truth, all right? So Jesus is full of truth. He says that in the very opening chapter. And then in John chapter 4, um, you see Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he says, there's a time coming where people will worship me in spirit and in Truth. All right, there you go. And then John chapter 8, where we're getting in this verse that we're going to be talking about, is you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Right? That's the title of this morning's message. And you keep going through John. John 14, 6, Jesus says this famous line, 
I am the way. I am the truth and the life, right? And then finally in John 16, verse 13, Jesus says this. It's better that I go so that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. So this idea of what is true, what is the truth, is so important to, to John. And uh, to me, it's so important in the, in the era the, the, where we live today, right? That kind of that postmodern era where people have, well, this is my truth. Well, that's, this is their truth. This is my truth. That's a bunch of baloney. This alone is the truth. There is an absolute truth. Truth is not something that is an opinion, not something subject to this over there. No, there is an absolute truth. We believe that as, as Christ followers, as those that listen to the word of God, this is our standard. This is the word of truth. And as Paul told Timothy, we should be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We should be able to rightly figure it out, correctly teach it, understand it. We should work at it. We should work at understanding the truth. And so John is talking about this truth. Truth is very important to him, so he highlights it a lot. In fact, I didn't even get into this one. Uh, I think it's in chapter 18. Um, Jesus is talking to, um, oh, goodness, brain. See, this is how bad my name is. My name. This is how bad my memory is with names. Even in the Bible, when I go to say someone's name, who's the guy that's interviewing Jesus that's about to kill him, about to crucify him? Pilate. Thank you. Good golly. Why can't I remember Pilate's name? See, that, that tells you how bad I have a mental block of names. So if I ever come to you and I say, hey, how's it going, man? Uh, it's because I'm so bad with names. Like, they just go away from my brain. I don't know why. I know your name. It just disappears like Pilate. Um, but Pilate, talking to Jesus, he says, are you a king? And what does Jesus say? What you said is true. That's the truth. I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world, right? He says that, and he says, but I came to show the truth. And then what does Pilate say? What is truth, right? Pilate is asking this question that so many people ask. Well, what is the truth? When I listen to the news and talk about the coronavirus, you talk about this, talk about all these topics that some of the time they're, it's like scary to talk about because everyone believes different things. We just want to know the truth. Can like, why does every news source have to tell me something different? Just tell me the truth, right? Why is the truth so hard to get at? And so I love that Jesus says, I came to bring the truth. I am the truth. There is an absolute truth. You can know the truth. And so that's what I love is this truth, it will set us free. And so we're going to look at this. Okay, I gave you a big broad context of the whole story, the whole gospel of John talking about truth. Now we'll get into the context because context is king. So I didn't want to just jump into John chapter 8, verse 32 and just kind of quote this verse to you. I want to give you the context. So John is talking about truth. Jesus is important to him. He is the truth. But then in the context of this story where Jesus is making these references, you see that in the previous chapter, chapter 7, you don't have to go back there and read. I'm, just, I'm giving you the summarized version. Uh, in the very first verses of chapter 7, you see that it's going to be um, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. He's already performed miracles. People are following him. He's got his 12 disciples. Things are moving along. And it says that his own brothers, his own half-brothers, right, from his same mom and dad, um, they come to him and they say, Jesus, you should go. You should go to Jerusalem because they're saying, it actually says in the context, they don't believe that he's the Messiah. His own Half-blood brothers don't believe he's the Messiah. And they're saying, Jesus, you should go to Jerusalem and talk to the scholars, and they'll show and prove to you that you're kind of off basis here. You're a really good guy. You might be prophetic, but you're not the son of God. Like, come on, right? So even his own brothers don't believe that he's the son of God. And this is what's going on. And so Jesus' answer to them is like, you know what? Why don't you guys go without me? I'm going to stick around here. And then Jesus secretly comes 
and comes in the middle of this feast in Jerusalem. And he shows up on the Temple Mount unannounced. People don't recognize him. And he begins to teach. He begins to share things and do things. And people are like, man, who is this guy? And the people are like, oh, this is Jesus. This is the guy that we saw before. And, he's, and so there's this context that people are recognizing him. There's already now division. People do believe in him. Some people believe in him and follow him. Some people don't. Like I said, it's part of his own family. Half of his family believes him. Half of his family doesn't. There's confusion here. What is the truth? Jesus, are you really the Messiah or not? And so now we're getting the context. Jesus shows up. He says in, in chapter 7, he's declaring this. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink of me, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Right? So he's just declaring who he is. He says, I'm the light of the world. He's starting to declare these things of who he is. The I am's are coming out. And uh, he's saying these things. And so in chapter 8, in the very beginning of chapter 8, you have Jesus back on the Temple Mount, and you have the Jewish leaders coming. Sorry, it's a lot of context here, but I feel like it's important to share all this. And the Jewish leaders, they come, and they throw the adulterous woman at his feet. Right? Trying to trap him trying to trick him because he seems to be a nice guy. And if he's a nice guy and he disobeys the law, well, he's illegitimate, right? So they're trying to trap him one way or the other. And we know the story, right? They throw him and they say, the book of Moses says that we should stone her. But what do you say, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't answer right away, right? He's quiet. And it says he begins to write on the ground. We don't know all of what he wrote down on the ground. I've read so many different commentaries of what it could possibly be. We don't know for sure, but I do like this one idea. Not saying I know for sure it's what it is. But it says that they all left in order of age. That It records that they actually left in some type of order. So I kind of think that Jesus maybe, this is my thinking, that Jesus maybe he saw the scholars, the Jewish leaders that were there condemning her and trying to trap Jesus and I think he knew. He looked at the oldest one, probably wrote on the ground, jealousy. Looked back at him. Looked at the next guy, oh, lying lips. Looked at the next guy, oh. Started writing down their sins. And so he says, all right, after he wrote down everybody's sins, all right, you without any sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. He spoke the truth. He didn't deny that she was in sin and that she did deserve punishment and consequences. That is the truth. But he spoke the whole truth. Yeah, but all of you are sinners as well. So he has this. Now they're even more mad, right? Oh, they're trying to trap Jesus. And so they keep coming to him, asking more questions. And Jesus is getting bold. He's, he's not backing down. He's saying who he is. And for me, it's kind of important. If you read the chapter 8, there's 59 verses. So almost 60 verses in this chapter. And in the very middle, in verse 30, to me, it's kind of a hinge. It's actually a very important. It seems like a kind of a throwaway line. But it's an important line. In John chapter 8, verse 30, you see Jesus. it's recorded this. As Jesus spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him. As he's speaking, as he's showing the truth, as he's speaking the truth of who God is, of who he is, people are believing in him. And at the same time, there's other people that are getting even more mad at him, that are offended at his truth, the truth. I guess I'm saying that because I want to, the next few verses are where I really want to center and focus on today. But Jesus says he recognizes, oh, there's people believing. It's not just people that are offended by me. I'm actually gaining followers. Faith is being built. As I speak the truth, people are being released from bondage. And he recognizes that. And so he begins to speak to them specifically. So you see in verse 31, he says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, 
speaking specifically to them. So not to everybody. He's speaking to those that are actually believing, actually listening to his words and believing them. He says this. Oh, I'll read it. I have so many different translations. So I'm reading out New King James. I think I have the Passion Translation up here. As Jesus said to those who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. Those that are listening, those who have ears to hear, he's speaking. All right, if you embrace what I'm saying, you're going to experience incredible freedom. And right away, the response of those who are not listening, who don't believe in him, are like, what are you talking about? We are free. We're not slaves to anybody. Right? They miss it. He's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those that believe in me. But it's the same truth. And I guess we, it's so important because we read these things that Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 4 to speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love. When you read chapter 8, there are people that are very offended by what Jesus says. In fact, I, I've heard, and I've actually read some commentaries on people who are not Christians, people today, that they don't believe John um, was, was just, he was adding things. Jesus didn't actually say this. They're actually trying to defend that Jesus was like a good teacher, but he wasn't really the Messiah. And they say, John, he's so different than the other Gospels, and he doesn't follow in line, and he adds all these other things. And so Jesus probably never said these things because what Jesus says is so harsh and condemning. And John, he's trying to create a religion that is anti-Semitic, that is trying to chastise Jews, and Jews are trash, and Jews are horrible. Because if you read this, Jesus says some pretty harsh things to the Jews. He says, man, you don't know God. Because if you knew God, you'd be listening to him because I come from him. Actually, your father is the devil. And you speak lies just like your father the devil. And he says these really harsh things. And so people are like, oh, John, he's just adding this other things. But really, if you read all the Gospels, Jesus is pretty harsh sometimes. In other Gospels, he says, you whitewashed tombs, right? He's, he has no problem speaking the truth, but Jesus always spoke it in love. And yet sometimes when I read this, it seems like, man, that's really harsh, Jesus. Was that really drenched in love? Because it sounds pretty offensive. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the truth. And so everything he speaks is actually done in love. The reason why he might come across offensive is because he's trying to be jarring to them. He's speaking kindly and softly to those that are following him. Oh, man, it's going to release such great freedom in your life. And to those that are opposing him, he's speaking things that are offending them even more. As you read this chapter, he keeps offending them more and more and more until the very end of the chapter, they're picking up rocks ready to stone Jesus. The beginning of the chapter, they're ready to stone a woman caught in sin. And at the end of the chapter, they're ready to stone the actual son of God. They get so offended with the truth of God. And I guess for me, speaking the truth in love, I was thinking about this. I need to work on this. I don't know about you, but I need to work on how I speak the truth in love. And I came across this quote from John Newton. He's the guy that wrote um, Amazing Grace, right? And so he's got a lot of profound things that he said, but this quote nails it. He says this, our natural temptation, I have a, there it is. Our natural temptation is to say what we should not say. Right? Like I just said, getting cut off on the freeway. You idiot. We shouldn't be saying that, Right? But our natural it's easy for us. It's our natural temptation to say what we shouldn't say. Or our temptation is to not say what we should say. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I should say that, but I don't want to say that, right? 
But I love what he keeps saying. One is cruel arrogance. To say what you shouldn't be saying, it's cruel arrogance. The other, cruel cowardice. To not speak the truth and to shrink back from it, it's cruel cowardice. And neither is love. Again, I love Martin Luther. He says this, the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off on as long as you fall off on one side. Some of us, we love to speak the truth, but there's no love behind it. It's just the truth. I love speaking truth and telling people where they're wrong. Yeah, but is it drenched in love? It sounds like it's cruel arrogance. For me, I know I need to, it's amazing how you would think like, oh, I just fall off on one side of the horse all the time. How is it possible that I try to stay fully, my feet firmly planted on both, and I keep falling off on both sides? Sometimes I'm full of arrogance, and I just blast the truth with no love behind it. And sometimes because I care for that person, I like, I like them liking me, I shrink back from speaking the truth they need to hear. I'm guilty of both. And Jesus, he's perfect theology. So in this context of chapter 8, He's doing exactly what he should be doing. In fact, he even says in here, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what makes my dad happy. So even in this, where Jesus is blasting and speaking the truth in a very offensive way, he's pleasing the Father. He's speaking what he hears the Father say. He's speaking the truth in love. Some of us, we need to learn how to do that. Why is that? Because Jesus' heart was actually pure in this. He sees these people that are so full of arrogance and pride. And he's like, man, how do I get them to actually have relationship with the Father? They've got to understand that they are wrong. And I've got to offend their minds to maybe get to their heart. Well, that's good. Some of us need to have our minds offended. <laughs> I had my mind offended a little bit on Wednesday night. We were having a good time worshiping the Lord. And, and just this phrase came to my mind, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I get it exactly right, but he said to me, Ryan, you need to move even if you don't understand. It's like, wait, what? It goes to kind of my life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Just trust in the Lord. And trust is actually movement, actually doing something. Faith without works is dead, right? You actually have to work something. Do, go and do it. Risk something. I have to go move even if I don't understand. That offends my mind. Like, God is a very intellectual, like, he created science. He created molecules. He created the universe, right? He's very smart, and I should be able to understand things. He created brains logically, reason. Those are all good things. But sometimes he offends my reason and my logic to get to my heart, to expose things that I need to be set free in. And my, my brain is just blocking the freedom. That was nowhere in my notes. That was for somebody. Um, but I guess I love what John Newton says, right? Speaking the truth in love. This is what Jesus is doing. So I want to go back and, and read those verses again. That John 8, 31 through 32. He said, he said to those who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach you, you prove that you are my true followers. Again, I love that Jesus is singling out a crowd. He's speaking to them specifically. And I believe that Jesus, through his word, still does the same things today. I believe that in my message today, there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to speak specifically to you. There are some general truths that I'm going to speak today. But there is a specific truth 
that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And I praise God that I have no ability to do that, but he has all the ability to do that, to feed each one of us, to pierce each one of our hearts differently. So he's speaking to you this morning. And he says this, when you continue to embrace all that I have said. See, I, I've shared this several times. I know many of you, if not all of you in this room, and maybe have at some point, you have embraced the truth that Jesus died for your sins. And that salvation only comes through him. Great, you've embraced that truth. And Jesus says, but you have to continue to embrace the words that come out of my mouth. It's not enough to live, after, live off of yesterday's embracing of God's truth. What truth are you embracing today? As you spend time, we talk about doing daily devotions, reading God's word, spending time daily with God. What truth is God speaking into your life in this season? What truth are you having to embrace? Embrace means that it's actually somewhat offensive. It's hard to bring in, but you're choosing to do it anyways. Jesus, you're saying this, and that's really hard for me to believe, but I'm gonna receive it and bring it in, right? I think about even... Our theme, our, uh, our vision statement at Osmond Neighbor Church, we pursue a relationship with God with the very first, there's several things we do, by embracing his promises, encountering his presence, and empowering his people, right? But we pursue a relationship with God by embracing his promises. There's this idea that we have to embrace or receive or take in, accept, adopt, make part of who we are. There's truths that I've heard growing up in this church for 30, 40 years. I've, I've heard these truths all my life. But unless I take them and put them into practice in my life, they aren't setting me free. They're not releasing freedom. They're not actually causing growth in life to happen. I actually have to take that truth and bring it into practice. And he says, those of you that continue to do that, continually, over and over again, you're taking truth and you're applying it to your life. I think about David. He writes this in Psalm 51. Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. God's not okay with just declaring his truth over all creation, and that's good enough. You heard Nick say during worship that he wants to breathe his breath of life into your very being. It's the truth of who he is. He wants it in our inward parts, changing us. This word truth, again, I don't have all this in front of you, but this word truth in the Hebrew, it's emmet. I thought of Lego, uh, Lego movie. My kids watch the Lego movie, and Emmett is like the main character. And I don't know, if, it's not spelled the same way, because I know this. I don't really know all about it. I didn't study deep into it, but I read this, that the way you spell emmet in Hebrew, you use the first, the middle, and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which I know is Aleph, right? We know the, he's the alpha and the omega, so I know that's somehow that's being used the first and the last. I don't know what the middle one is, but something in there is how you say this Hebrew word, truth. And for me, truth is that, right, it, it pans. God was and is and is to come. He is always true. He's always secure. He's firm. That word emmet means firm foundation, sure, secure, rock solid. See, there's things that I, I believe are true in God's word. I believe they're true, but somehow if I look at my life, that truth has not been made a rock 
solid truth in my life. It's true at times, but I want it to be true from beginning to end. All throughout my life, the truth of God is what upholds me. So I continue to embrace the truth. And I love that it says, all that I teach. Jesus says, those of you that continue to embrace all that I teach, not just some of what I teach, not just the things that make you happy, not just the promises of my favor, of my kindness, of my goodness, but actually all that I teach. Those things that are hard. Those things that say, unless you die, you can't be a part of me. Unless you forsake everything else, your wife, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, your own kids, if you don't forsake them, then you're not worthy to be my follower. That's really harsh, Jesus. Yeah, we have to embrace all those truths, the promises that benefit us, that seem good on the surface, and all those things that uh, I don't enjoy reading. But he's saying for his, our own benefit, he offends us. He tells us things that are hard because he wants us to change. He actually wants, his, the end result is freedom. See, I love this. We're not even going to have time to unpack all this, but Jesus, several verses later, in thir verse 36 and 37, he's, he's talking to the Jews, and he's like, you think you're free. He says, but actually, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You can't get real freedom anywhere else. The enemy, oh man, he will promote freedom outside of Christ. Oh, religion, it's a crutch. It's going to slow you down. You can't have as much fun when you have to go to, following all the rules and all the do's and don'ts. Are you kidding me? There's so much more freedom outside of Christ. That's what the enemy will keep telling you when he tempts you. The very first temptation recorded, right? Really? God's restricting you? You can't, look how good that tree is. That fruit is so, oh, so juicy. It would actually make you understand things you don't understand now. Good things. There's good, if you ate that fruit, you would have the knowledge of good things you don't know right now. Oh my goodness, you're missing out. That's the deception of the enemy. He's, he always wants to say, oh, there's actually more enjoying, there's more freedom outside of Christ. But Jesus says this, no, actually, the only way you will experience true freedom is through me. I am the truth. No one's going to get to the truth except through me. So he says this, those who continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. You prove it. You prove it by taking things that God says to you and applying it to your life. There was a zillion things going through my head when I was preparing this message because I, I'm thinking about God's word is so full of truths that I could try to drip, nail home for you guys. But I felt like on purpose the Holy Spirit wasn't giving me specific truths to hit because I feel like maybe the Holy Spirit has already stirred up some things in your own life. This message is maybe just a confirmation of what the Holy Spirit is already doing in your life. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is a convictor of sin and he's putting his finger on something. You have not yielded. You keep dabbling in this sin. You keep touching this thing. You keep doing that and you're not in freedom. And so the Lord this morning is trying to talk to you and say, man, if you just would get let go of that sin and stop Yielding to temptation, you would experience incredible life. Rivers of living water would come out of you. Some of you, maybe on the other side, you're struggling with depression, discouragement, 
You're doing the right thing, but man, you have no energy. You have no joy of the Lord. And he's trying to speak over you. You are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. And you keep hearing the accusation of the enemy. And you just need to have the truth of God's word be upheld in your life. See, I can try to pick which one, but the Lord knows where you're at. I could, that's just two of a zillion examples. What is the Lord trying to speak to you this morning? To the confirm, this is the truth. I'm speaking to you specifically this morning. I can't tailor make that message to each one of you, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, is doing that. That's been my prayer all week long. Lord, you speak. And I love this, that we will prove as we take hold of that truth and we apply it to our lives, we're proving not just to God, we're proving to ourselves, no, this is who I am. This is who God says he is. This is the word of God. I am proving by standing alone on the word of truth. I'm not going to be led by emotions, by what the world says, by what my feelings are. No, this is the truth and I'm standing on it. I'm going to prove God's word to be true over and over again. Hmm. And I love that it says that Jesus is the teacher. I'm teaching you. Jesus is a teacher. He is the good teacher. I told you, John records a lot of I am's. I am the good shepherd. I am the good teacher, right? Jesus is a perfect teacher, and he is not wanting to blast us over the head and just, like, discourage us. I love this. I don't remember who it was, but someone shared with me that God's word is not to be a broad sword to hit people all over the head, right? It's to use to be, it's, it's meant to be a scalpel where the Holy Spirit comes in like a surgeon with a specific purpose to address a specific area of our life and say, this is what I'm talking about. This, this cancerous thing right here, I want to cut that out and get that out of your life so that I can bring life and health and freedom. Hmm. I, again, I was just thinking of this idea about teacher. I have four kids at home that I, thank goodness, my wife is a teacher, and so she helps probably way more than I do with their homework, right, and studying for tests, all those things. But there's times where I'm in the conversation, I'm helping, my hands are dirty with their homework, doing things, and not blaming any one of them. I'm just using them as an example of all of us. I've heard all kinds of things. Well, I got kids that have gone from kindergarten, now I have high schoolers, right? So I've heard everything from, well, Mom, I already know. I already know. I already know how to do this. I don't need your help. Sometimes that's our attitude. Jesus, as the teacher, is coming to reveal a truth to us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I already know that truth, Jesus. I got that. Yeah, I learned that in Sunday school like 10 years ago. I, I know that. And Jesus is like, no, there's more truth here. There's a greater depth to this truth. Hmm. Even as I said that, there's greater freedom. For some of us. I get this. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I, I declare all the time, man, I am free. We sing worship songs, right? I am free from the law of sin and death. I'm free. I'm free and free. We sing all the time. I am, and I believe that. But Jesus, he says this. Oh, man, I don't have all these references, I think, up for you, but it's still in chapter 8. In verse 34, he says this. Maybe I have it up. I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. 
So I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to Christ. But the moment I commit a sin, I've actually opened up an opportunity for the enemy to come in and enslave me in that area. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Can I tell you, I, I've seen people all throughout this church, all throughout outside this church in my life, I've seen people that are saved. I'm confident, man, they are going to heaven. They know who Jesus Christ is. They've, they've confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They know that he is the only way, truth, and life. They are going to heaven. Take it to the bank. I know they're going to heaven. And yet I see in their life, there's sin. And in that area of sin, there's bondage. And the enemy has a foothold. And the enemy is having a heyday in their life. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah, they're free as far as going, spending eternity with Jesus, but their life is a mess because they've committed sins that they're not repented and turned away from. They are committing sin, and so as Jesus says, they're a slave to sin. Hmm, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this or not, but do you guys remember um, Chris Freeman? He's a guy who came to our church several years ago. I had the dreadlocks, the kind of smaller dreadlocks than Pastor Greg used to have. Um, really bubbly, outgoing guy. He helped teach sometimes in our kids' classes. And he's actually, I think, LAUSD school teacher. I just saw on Facebook, I just got the news through Facebook, um, that he actually had a motorcycle accident just two or three days ago and passed away. And so I would love to pray for his family. There's a lot of people in his family that are not saved. Um, and that was just a, yeah, a punch to the gut when I, when I heard that. But he's someone that I just want to give you a practical example. He's someone that I know, that I know, that I know he's, at the, he's in heaven. He's with Jesus. I've met with him. I've counseled with him. I've talked to him. I've seen him come down the aisle in tears, just enjoying the presence of God, the goodness of God. I know he's saved. And yet I, I know he would not only have no problem with sharing this, he would want me to share this. There was areas in his life where I met with him, and I'd be like, Chris, man, you have this struggle in your life, and things are not going well for you because you've not truly repented. You know it's wrong, and you keep doing this thing. And I said, I see it all over you. I said, I actually got the visual. I, I told him in one of my counselors, I, I can almost, almost physically see it on you. There's a story in, in the Old Testament where the Israelites were led away in captivity to the Assyrians. And it says that the enemy came and put fish hooks in their lips and they drew them away from the promised land in fish hooks. And it says that because that while they were being drawn away, the idea was that if they ever tried to wander, it just took the enemy just one small little tug. Oh, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go wherever, you're, wherever you're leading me. Oh, okay, I'll go that way too, right? And that's why I tell Chris, I can almost physically see a fish hook in your lip. Because you have sinned, you're in slavery and in bondage to the enemy. And all he has to do is one tiny little tug, and you're, you're sideways. I'm not saying this to slam Chris. I'm saying this to speak the truth in love to us. Some of us, we have sin in our life, and our life is not going well. It's not Jesus' fault. It's not because he's not mighty to save. It's because we have enslaved ourselves to sin. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. I have truth for you that if you just embrace it, oh, I can get rid of those fish hooks and you can actually enjoy life. I wish I could say, right, that I'm, I never mess up, right? But God's word makes it clear. For all have sinned 
All have fallen short of the glory of God. So this message this morning is not for the unsaved. It's for those who believe in Jesus. He's saying, if you will embrace truth, you will experience greater freedom. It releases freedom. Yeah, Paul talks about running the race, right? And not allowing sin that so easily ensnares us or trips us up, entangles us. Would you say that you are more free today than you've ever been in your entire life? It's just a consulate, right? Allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Because Jesus is saying, the more you continue to embrace truth, the more freedom will be released in your life. So the reality is, I should be more free today than I was yesterday. Because I'm growing, right, from glory to glory. This idea is that as I embrace truth and I reject more and more sin in my life, ah, oh, I don't get tripped up so easily. I can actually run and not walk, not just stand still, not be stuck. Oh, man, that word when I was praying this morning... That word stuck, I didn't know where that fit my message, but just right here. I feel like some of us, we feel stuck. That word is for somebody here. You feel stuck. You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven, but there's something about your life, it's stuck. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to feel stuck. I want you to experience greater freedom in your life. And he's giving you the truth. He's giving you the answer, how to experience greater freedom, how to get unstuck. It's by embracing sometimes hard truths. Hmm. Going back to that Psalm 51, he desires truth in the inward parts. Being objective and, and true to yourself, that word true or truth in the Greek, it means reality, right? I can know something intellectually. I know the truth. I, I, I am familiar. I went to Bible school. Like, I know intellectually the truth of God's word. But do I know it intimately? Is it pressed down in my inward parts? He desires truth in the inward parts. And if we're being real and honest and transparent with ourselves and before the Lord, what do we desire? Do we desire truth? Or do we desire, ah, I'd rather have some pleasure or some comfortability or some easiness in my life. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've been looking at my own life and I can recognize it. It's always easier to recognize in somebody else than your own self, right? But I can recognize in the church at large, but I'll say I'm in the church. There's been a effect on some of us during COVID and the pandemic and during, I don't know, I'm trying to get political here, but even, right, unemployment and all the other things, it's produced something where maybe a little bit of laziness, where I don't work as hard, where, ah, well, this is easier over here. I think I'll do the easier road, right? The enemy wants us to take the easy road. But Jesus' truth, oh, man, it's harsh. Unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me, you can't be my follower. Oh, I mean, I have to discipline myself? 
You mean I have to work out my salvation? Yeah, it's time to go to the gym. It's time to work things out. What do I desire? What motivates me? What's inhibiting you? What causes you to make one decision over another? Why are you not as close to God as you really want to be? As I said in the beginning of worship, I want to want God. All right, but what's hindering my wanting God? I got to be honest. What's the truth? What's inhibiting those things? All right, really quick. I got time to read this really quick. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25 says this. I think I have it up here. Stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature, for these disputes will only generate more conflict. Can I just say this fits very apropos for you fill in the blank with what's in the news and in the media and whatever's going on in our world right now. There's arguments over things. I'm like, oh my gosh, we do not need to be immature and talk about these things in this way. There are things that need to be addressed. I agree, truth needs to be spoken, but we should stay away from foolish arguments for they just generate more conflict. Verse 24, for a true servant of our Lord Jesus will not be argumentative, but gentle toward all and skilled in helping others see the truth. Do you want to be skilled in helping others see the truth? That's me. I don't want truth just for my life. I want to be a minister of the truth. I want to be someone who brings truth in love to other people so that they get set free. I enjoy the freedom Christ has given me. I want others to experience that freedom. I didn't finish that verse, right? Sorry. Skilled in helping others see the truth, having great patience towards the immature. Ooh. Does that define you and how you listen to the news? or whatever it is, talking to someone who disagrees, who has a different opinion than you. It's not even the truth. You might think your opinion is the truth, and they're wrong, right? But are you patient towards the immature? And then verse 25 and 26 says this. Then with meekness, you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so they can see God's gracious gift of repentance and be brought to the truth. They'll see God's gift of repentance in your life and the truth in your life. I want that. And they'll be brought to the truth. Verse 26, this will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan. Is that what I finished on? Oh yeah, scare Satan who caught them in his trap. As we are able to effectively and correctly speak the truth in love to others, ah, it will reveal to them who they really are. They'll see the truth of who they are. And they'll see the truth. Oh, man, the enemy, he was lying to me. I got to finish with, that's 2 Timothy 2, 23, 25. 2 Timothy 2, 15 was actually my grade school. Before I went to village, I went to a small school called Light and Life. And this was their theme verse at the school. It was 2 Timothy 2, 15. Right? I had to memorize this, probably the first, one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized. But this is a different translation than I summarized it. Because sometimes I get lost and I, I just can recite words and I'm not actually thinking about what they actually mean. But in this translation and taking out some of the middle, it says this. Work hard so you can correctly explain the word of truth. Work hard so you can correctly explain the word of truth. Don't work hard to blast somebody with the truth and tell them you're an idiot. That's not what that says. Work hard 
So you can carefully explain it in a way that makes sense, in a way that's palatable, in a way that is attractive, in a way that, man, that truth, man, I want that truth. Because it is the truth. All right, I said a lot of things as Daniel comes up to close the message, close the service. What is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, speaking to you this morning? He wants to guide us into all truth. So as I shared, I had lots of, I have so many things written down here that I could have said, well, this is the truth that God wants to hone in on. This is what we're going to address this morning. But I felt like there was supposed to be freedom for the Holy Spirit to guide you into the truth he needs to guide you into. Some of you, I'm just throwing it out there, some of you, maybe there needs to be repentance. There is sin, and there needs to be a recognition of that sin, and acknowledge a confession of that, and a releasing of that, so that there can be freedom. Well, maybe that's probably all of us, because sin is not just something that, I don't know, throw out a sin. Um, I'll, I'll throw a harsh one out there. Looking at things on the internet you shouldn't be looking at. But sin is also listening to the lies of the enemy. That I'm no good. I'm not good at this. As I was talking about my kids being students and watching me and my wife trying to help them learn new things and trying to be a teacher to them at home, sometimes it's not that they're arrogant. I already know all this. Sometimes their response is, well, I'm bad at math. I'm no good, so I'm not going to learn any. I'm stupid. I'm not going to learn anyways. A defeated attitude. That's sin. To say I can't change, that's sin. To say that's just my personality. That's just who I am. The word of truth comes to you. And he says, no, come to me. I can change you. I can transform you. I can make you new. So as we close with one last song, I just want to invite any of you, you can stay in your pew and do business with the Lord. Or maybe you need to recognize that and come just get prayer. There's, we always end with one last worship song with some leaders up front. I just want to pray with you. We're going to pray over people that have nothing to do with confessing horrible sins. We'll pray over you that maybe your aunt is sick in, in the hospital and you want prayer. Then we're going to lay hands and pray that God heals her. Whatever it is, we just want to pray with whatever your need is. But definitely, if you need prayer for something that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on, then respond. Respond to that. So would you all stand? As we close the service, let's get ready to sing. And let's be real and honest and true to the Lord as we pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that it declares in the Psalms, it declares over and over again that your word is truth. That what you speak is more true than anything we think, feel, or imagine. That you are the only one that can set us free. We desire truth for your truth to come inside of us, to set us free. Jesus, we want you to set us free as you declared whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So I declare that I am free, but I want more of your freedom. I want all of your freedom. I do know you as the truth, but I want all of your truth. So come and teach me. I yield to you as my teacher as my shepherd, as my Lord, as my God. Have your way in me. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on up.